welcome to Ascending Olympus, the Inner Sanctums Olympics podcast. I'm your host, Jackie, and joining me today is longtime listener, longtime contributor, Dan. Hey, Jackie. It's great to be back. How are you? I'm good. How are you? It's been a while since it's been the two of us on the pod, to be fair. It has been. I was thinking about, I think the last time we did a pod together was day minus two when Brisbane was announced, which admittedly was only 10 days ago, but does feel like a lifetime and a half. Every day feels like a week when the Olympics are on, I feel. <laughs> I watch enough sport for a week every day during the Olympics, that's for sure. Yeah, and, well, what a day today was in sport. Now we've got swimming and athletics on the go, and there's a lot going on. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it, we were sitting down working on what to talk about tonight, and there's just so much stuff. <laughs> Can we make this only swimming and athletics? Well, probably not. <laughs> but we'll start with athletics <laughs> and the big Aussie story you could easily say is Rowan Browning running a 10.01 in the 100 meter sprint in the heats today. Yeah, it's a new personal best. Um, it got him through obviously straight to the semifinals. Um, he's now the second fastest Australian of all time. Um, I had the chance to speak to him just after selection was announced which now is about four months ago. And he, the thing that stuck with me was that he said, you know, it's not just about running fast. It's about running fast at the right time um, against a quality field on the right occasion. And tonight was absolutely that. There are no, there's no other way to describe what he did tonight. It said he ran incredibly fast at exactly the right time. Yeah. Uh, we're not used to seeing an Aussie sprinter, especially in the men's run quite so good and the fact that he's in the semis he's just the general belief I think is he's just got to go sub 10 to guarantee a spot in the final but right now that 1001 uh could if it was like that was for the final with all of the races that were run today he would actually be in the final as well he's the first Aussie to make the semi-finals of the men's 100 meters since Matt Shervington in Sydney which <laughs> ridiculous <laughs> I mean that's that's 20 years ago. Rowan was about two at the time of that. Um, but he ran incredible. And and honestly, I think he probably can run faster. If you watch the race, that last 10, 15 metres is not the same full gas as he has at 60 metres. Yeah, I would agree with that. I, um, that point at 60 metres, you're like, he's in good form. He could go, like, keep going here. And he does taper off that little bit, which is smart running, given that it's just a heat. But... You also want to see him go full pelt the whole way <laughs> a little bit. Well, I think we will get a chance. I think for the semifinal, we'll see full pelt because at that point there are less guarantees of qualification, and especially against the quality. I mean, he was saying in his um, post-race interview that uh, he thought when he saw the, the start list that he probably got the hardest heat and the stiffest heat, but it didn't seem to matter tonight. Yeah, well, he was for the stiffest heat, he was the fastest in it. <laughs> So speaks volumes about how quality of a runner he is. And then immediately in his post-match, post-race interview, he was worried about the stall gift handicap that he's got for next year as a result now. <laughs> Which if that's what you're worrying about. <laughs> pretty good, Nick. Yeah. <laughs> Thinking pretty far ahead. Uh, he, he wasn't the only person to run incredibly quickly tonight. We saw Jamaica sweep the medals in the women's 100 metre Um which was quite an event, really, uh, made for broadcast, but it was a hell of a spectacle. Oh, 
Yeah, I mean, a lot of people have been following the Jamaican sprinters for as long as they can remember, I think, in a lot of ways, especially since Usain Bolt uh, came into the field. But Shelly Ann Fraser-Price is an absolute superstar, and she only won the silver today. Um, She's got two gold to her name already and then has come in one silver tonight because Elaine Thompson-Herrera broke an Olympic record that was set in like 1988, I think it was, or maybe even it was later. A, a record. Yeah, it's um, it's quite unbelievable, and it was a really exciting race all the way through. I mean, the fact that they ran three runs at it today is, is very impressive, and to still turn around with an Olympic record in the evening was just unbelievable, and to have an all-Jamaican podium is obviously great for for the nation and and great to see that there is a future of sprinting with the, you know, Shelley and Fraser Price, as great as she is, is probably done now. Um, Usain Bolt is already done, um, but there's plenty of excitement for the future for Jamaican sprinting. Yeah, and, I mean, Sharika Jackson's face as well, who came in third, like her reaction to meddling as well, it was just like Shelley and Fraser Price looked maybe slightly disappointed, which is obviously nothing to be disappointed in when you're losing to an <laughs> Olympic record especially. But she just looked over the moon. And Elaine Thompson-Herrera, her last two medals or, like, at an event have been gold medals at Olympics because she's just had so many injuries over the past five years that she hasn't been able to win a lot of competitions. Yeah, and she hasn't. And I actually, um, I wanted to touch briefly on uh, the Australian Sarah Carley who ran in the heats and didn't make it through to the semifinals, missed out by 0.03 of a second. But it was an incredible run for for Carly. She, um, in February this year, suffered a training injury where she tore her carotid artery in her neck, um, which is is straight up a life-threatening injury. Um, and she had a vein transplanted from her thigh to her neck to, to kind of keep her going. And she basically had six weeks of training at full fitness for the Olympics Which and a- ran 0.03 outside of a semifinal. Yeah, <laughs> unreal effort. <laughs> Um, and there's so little between these sprinters when it's like a hundred meters. It's the same way with the pool is once you get to those really short distances, there's no time in it at all. We saw the importance of that tonight. I mean, all day, really, there were an astounding number of, uh, breaking issues and disqualifications. I thought there was one heat where we had three, three attempts at restarting in the men's hundred meter, um, with a disqualification in there. So it really does show. And I think that it'll probably be a talking point in the aftermath of the games, just how they managed the timing. Cause we saw the same in the swimming. There were a couple of dead heats on the first night that didn't really look like heats, um, but were recorded as such. And then today seeing people, you know, get called for, for DQs for minor, if any infraction is pretty tough. Yeah, it's one of those, the fatal flaw of technology is that sometimes it's a little too sensitive and too precise. And so things that don't really look like they'd be problems to even super slow mode cameras is still just like taking someone out or giving someone something that they wouldn't have gotten if it was just by line of sight. Yeah, absolutely. And um, one event that probably wasn't decided by the super technology and, and was decided by the line of sight was the discus. 
Daniel Starr, the Swedish Viking, threw that medal frisbee so far. I think it was uh, 67 metres, was it, in the end? No, it was a bit more than that, actually. Uh, 68.9, I think it ended up being, which is just unreal. Like, <laughs> yeah, There aren't many words for that, and he didn't have many afterwards. It was, I'm a Swedish Viking <laughs> on repeat, and that was about all he could say. It is three metres less than his personal best and over a metre more than his Swedish like compatriot who won Silver's best throw today. Um, yeah, he just, yeah, I mean, it's not often that you and I are lost for words on this podcast, but no. tonight's one of those. But I was really impressed with Matt Daddy. He was super consistent. Uh, all but one of his throws was between 65 and 66 and a half metres, um, which going into the final throw had him sitting in fifth. And he pulled out a PB by more than 70 centimetres um, and finished five centimetres short of the the bronze medal, which is heartbreaking, but it's the best an Australian has ever thrown at the Olympics, and it's a massive PB for him. Um, and it was 67 meters and two centimeters, which is just also unbelievable. Yeah, um, he broke his own personal best twice tonight, uh, because it was a going in, it was 66.15. I believe his fifth throw was 66.30 something off the top of my head. I could be slightly off there, but just those consistent 65, 65 and a half, like those throws and you're just like, okay, okay. Like, is he going to bring out something big? Like these are close to his personal best already, but is he going to just have like that massive throw where it's like almost like reaching the bubble that you've been in for ages. And we did get to see that. It's just heartbreaking that it's five centimeters short of an Olympic medal. Yeah, absolutely. But the other kind of really exciting story out of the track and field today for the Australians was uh, the 800. So we had three entries, Charlie Hunter, Jeff Reesley, and Peter Ball. Um, Reesley obviously qualified straight off a plane from Poland a few weeks ago um, as the window was starting to look like it was closing. And he and Charlie Hunter got through on time, but Peter Ball broke the Australian record, one or came second in his heat, and eased off at about 70 metres to go and still managed all of that. Yeah. Um, there's, like, been, like, we've been following the athletics circles a little bit just because we've had more access to the athletics um, <laughs> leading up to the Olympics. But one of the big things is that people have been talking about watching out for Peter Bold, not even necessarily that he was a um, massive medal chance, just in that he's running these times and they're getting better and better and he's just gone and broken the Australian record and as you said he can do it because he's eased off at the end it wasn't full-blown going for it right at the end which is smart because it is just the heats but he's gonna look dangerous yeah. in that semi well he, he guaranteed his spot really at that point it was like well I'll um put it into neutral and just cruise home from here just a <laughs> casual Australian record casual way guaranteed into the semi-finals and a serious warning shot to the whole competition. Yeah, well, he looks like a threat to make the finals now, that's for sure. Yeah, it's a it's a great sign. Uh, there's a number of Australian runners who really seem to have it, particularly the men. Um, you know, we've got Stewie McSween, who we haven't seen yet, and we talked about Rowan Browning and Peter Paul's in there as well. There's a, a few of them coming through. But it, 
the event that kind of was the most fun to watch today on the athletics track was definitely in my eyes the mixed four by 400 meter relay at the end of the day that oh just, my God. it's a it's a great race i don't understand why we haven't had mixed relays before because the mixed relays and the tactics particularly in the swimming where you've got the different strokes and you're managing that were just incredible so actually we saw it on display today i mean it looked like everyone kind of had the plan of um you know either backstroke or butterfly was done you know by a, a man or a woman but everyone seemed to have uh, their freestyler as a woman rather than a man, except for the USA, who may have entered the freestyle leg in dire straits. But watching Caleb Dressel try to mow down Emma McKeon was quite a sight. Yeah, and thankfully he didn't. <laughs> That's the <laughs> nicest way to put it. Um, it's been great seeing the Aussies get the one over the Americans in the pool, but... Today it was like that <laughs> mixed Bentley relay was insane. Um, like it started with Team GB having a bad start off the wall in the backstroke. And then in the second leg, it was the Americans who their breaststroke swimmer had her goggles slip like halfway down her face when she dove into the pool. And you're just like, oh my God, this race is madness and we're not even half done. <laughs> And so that was, obviously set the Americans back a fair way because she couldn't see. But, but I was amazed at the fact that, you know, we saw immediately that, um, you know, those countries that had female backstrokers basically dropped back 50 metres and went, right, well, we'll catch them later. Yeah. And catch them later we did um, because a lot of the teams that did kind of were there at the finish had started slowly with a, a female backstroker. but the tactics and the calculations were just fantastic. And I mean, Kaylee McKeon, Kaylee McEwen, so I'm a brilliant backstroke leg, but she might not even have been the story of the relay. But no. we'll talk about her first before we get to the other Australian story in the pool today. She has completed that double, the 200-100 backstroke double, and was uh, was a bit more relaxed this time around. She blew the smoke off the finger guns rather than swearing on live TV. But, you know, <laughs> she, she was having a great time. Yeah, I mean, it's just one of those, everything seemed to have gone right for the Aussies in the pool at Tokyo 2020. And Kayla McEwen being an absolute superstar and getting two gold medals is a part of that. Um, she's not the only one to get two individual gold. She's also now got a mixed medley bronze to her name and potentially tomorrow she's going to have another medley medal to her name, um, medley relay medal, I should say, to her name. Uh, but a part of that is her and Emily Seabong getting first and third together and just that moment uh -huh. on the podium. I, yeah. <laughs> my heart my was heart. my reaction as well. <laughs> I mean, it, it was really touching to see because... Uh, Kelly said all the way back at trials that it was an honour to have raced with Emily Seabom, who had been an inspiration for her. We talked about the fact that she was lightning quick back then and that Emily Seabom was going to another Games and, and kind of had all those achievements. But to see them make the final together as the first and third fastest qualifiers and reverse the order in terms of the finishes, but... Kaylee pulled Emily up onto the top step of the podium for the national anthem. And I think hearts broke around Australia. And afterwards at the post-race interview, she talked about how much, 
how much Kaylee thought that Emily deserved to be up there for for all the inspiration she's been over the years. Yeah, it says a lot about this Aussie team in that they have a lot of fun, clearly, from Kaylee's reaction to winning a gold medal to <laughs> Dean Boxall's reaction to Ariane Titmus winning a medal. But there's obviously to, a- to Campbell's reaction to Ariane Titmus winning a gold uh, to Emily. Emma- Mc- there's there's too many brilliance winners in the Australian team I can't keep the the track in my head but yeah everyone's reaction like there's that we're like a family but it does very much come across that this there's a lot of love amongst each other in this swimming team and it's like speaking of Emma McKeon she's possibly gonna win another gold tomorrow I was in awe of the fact that like she was in a towel when they called the mixed medley relay start today because she'd only had at that time five minutes since the end of her previous race. And there was a, a little montage that someone found of they, they followed her around during the five minutes of madness where she got out of the pool, got into the warm down pool, swam four laps, changed her cap, like readjusted her cap, wrapped a towel around herself and walked to the starting blocks for the start of the race. And then swam a brilliant anchor leg of the <laughs> mixed medley <laughs> relay. Um, but she's, you know, and she did it all after breaking an Olympic record in the semifinals of the 50 meter freestyle. And she held off Caleb Dressel, <laughs> which is not an easy but, thing for men to do. With but also, she broke her own Olympic record yeah. in the 50 freestyle that she set 24 hours earlier before swimming a different relay. It, <sighs> There is nothing that she can't do at the moment, it seems. She's already now tied for the most prolific Australian medal winner at the Olympics with nine. She ties Liesl Jones and Ian Thorpe, and she's got two finals tomorrow. And I think she's going to go up by at least one. Um, She looks really – like, it is so hard to split those 50-metre freestyles because they're all within a second of each other, but she looks very dangerous. And the fact that she's breaking her own Olympic record and doesn't, like, still doesn't quite look like she's getting out of second gear at the very least. Like, yeah, she's not puffed at the end of races. No. Um, and, like, Kate Campbell's going to be there with her, which I think does help in like they will feed off each other like leading up to the race as well they are friends they are also excellent competitors and have been for years and they're gonna go out and hopefully we're gonna get one and two hopefully we get two medals even but I just can't see Emma McKeon dropping this um similar to how Kate did in 2016. I hope you're right I don't want to jinx anything but I actually want to move on to another Aussie who He's looking in brilliant shape and hasn't got out of second gear yet. Um, and that's Logan Martin. Oh. So in yes. the first morning of BMX freestyle in the Olympics, Logan Martin scored the two highest runs um, of the day with a 91.9 and a 90.04. His average of 90.97 is almost too better than anyone else's in the event. He was doing tricks that no one else looked like they could do. And the commentators were firmly of the view that he wasn't even showing all the tricks that he's got. Yeah. He's got a final tomorrow and he's in ripping shape. Just unreal form um, that you don't, it's a new sport. So I think that a lot of people just didn't really know what to expect. We'd done a bit of research and had realized that he's probably a strong gold medal chance. 
But to like actually watch those runs and you're just like, oh, you make this that is obviously incredibly difficult look like it's just something you do like casually on your days off, (laughs) even though you're at the Olympics right now. He has been. So they were talking about the fact that Cycling Australia worked with Martin and Natalie Dean, who's in the women's park freestyle, and they had built a replica of the Tokyo course for them to train on. Mm. Logan Martin was crowned world champion six weeks ago, um, basically, and since then he spent his days on a replica of this Olympic course, messing around with it, testing it, seeing how he can go and absolutely, you know, preparing for the event of his life it looks like so far yeah um i'm very excited for i think it's tomorrow when the next stage is at the very least because it's gonna be big to watch again and if he does bring out some stuff that we didn't get to see today i'm very excited because i think there's gonna be some cool tricks up his sleeve i also like I don't know what else there is to do. Like he he did things that I couldn't imagine already, let alone like tomorrow. But he um yeah, I mean so tomorrow is the the final. Um and they will go in reverse order of seating, which means that Natalia Diem will go fifth from the end, and Logan Martin in the women's and Logan Martin will be last in the men. So he'll get out onto the course knowing what he has to do and what he has to score to win i don't think it'll affect him a lot because i think that his bag of tricks is pretty deep already and he's determined to to do his absolute best but it's going to be a nice spot to be in when he does finally get out there yeah and i guess we'll touch on a different sport that uh also involves some pretty difficult tricks and that's the trampolining which was today the men's uh qualifier and final which we had one aussie dominic clark who the first Aussie is in G Wallace who won silver in Sydney 2000 to reach a trampoline final, which is massive achievement. He got a combined score of 111.68 in the qualifying stages, which they do like a voluntary, uh, a compulsory routine and a voluntary routine where they do whatever they want through 10 passes. Finished fourth in that ahead of um, China's Dong Dong, who is has won a medal at every Olympics he's been to. He won gold in 2012 specifically, but very much like an old legacy of <laughs> trampolining, which is still a pretty young event when you think about the fact that 2000 was the first year it was held. But unfortunately in the final, he did not finishing eighth because he just couldn't get through his routine. There were a lot of gymnasts that didn't get through their routines on the trampoline today, to be fair. Um, people falling off the sides or like hitting the sides more specifically. Uh, American had his leg go through the side of the trampoline and then just going off the ends as well. Cause it's pretty hard to like do flips and tricks um, when you're bouncing 10 meters or so in the air. Do you think that there was anything about this particular trampoline that they were using that was part of that? Cause it, it did seem like an awful lot of gymnasts weren't able to complete their routines. And that kind of shocked me cause I was, surprise but I mean we don't see that in the other gymnastics events no I I can't like say one way or another um more in just the sense of like potentially it was just a bad day for a lot of them but also at the same time the women's aside from um Australia's Jessica Pickering they were generally pretty clean and not many of them came off the tramp 
So the girls are obviously a lot more petite than the men and that could have some bearing on it, but it just seemed like the men were exiting their tricks almost later and that was changing how they'd bounce on the trampoline a little bit as well, I think. Uh, I mean, it's it's another one of those sports that turns up every four years and I become an expert for a day and then disappears, <laughs> <laughs> never to be spoken of again. But one of the sports that isn't like that is the tennis. And Jackie, you're obviously our resident in the Sanctum Tennis. I'm uh, so happy. <laughs> it's so mean. <laughs> I'm so happy. So tell me about it then. Tell me why well, you're happy. All right. <laughs> it's no secret that I don't like Novak Djokovic. And what? him losing yesterday to Alexander Zverev made me very happy. I'm not going to lie. But then I did not think that he in the bronze medal match between himself and Pablo Carrera Booster, that A, it would go to three sets. Um, and Carrera Booster took the first. Djokovic fought back and won in a tiebreaker in the second. But that third set was something to behold. And Carrera Booster ended up winning it quite convincingly in my opinion. And uh, Djokovic was not a happy, not a happy guy uh, to say the least. One racket was thrown into the stands. The other was kind of smashed, oh, I saw that. smashed on the edge of the net um, or more like the side of like where the post is like, and that sort of thing. But he was then expected immediately afterwards to turn around and play in the mixed doubles final against everyone's favorite Australian Ash Barty and John Pierce and ended up like that ended up being what's called a walkover, which essentially means he forfeited the match along with his partner, citing a shoulder injury, which I don't know if it's that if the situation was reversed, that that mixed doubles would have been gone through and lost the mixed doubles in three and then withdrawn from the singles. There's a level of prioritizing your matches that goes on. But also, it's just funny. I really wanted to see Barty versus Djokovic in its own, like, twisted little way. But Barty gets to take home a bronze medal. It's just unfortunate that you don't get that closure of winning that last match. Somehow, I don't think that Ash Barty and John Pierce are going to be losing any sleep over the closure that they get with the bronze medal hanging around their neck. No. <laughs> but it, ha- it has been a bit shocking the last 48 hours to see the Golden Slam that we basically saw us a slam dunk four days ago. um, Crumble. Literally go up in in smoke, um, along with any sense of composure from Novak. I mean, he's normally quite calm and sedate on the court, not super expressive. And then when it's gone pear-shaped, it has been fiery. I don't entirely agree with the sentiment of he's a robot and he's so cool, calm and collected. At the like Grand Slams, yes, but I do remember before the Australian Open this year, him smashing a racket and then throwing it into the sky. At I think it was the Melbourne Open or it was to do with one of the ATP Cup, uh, like where he was playing for Serbia against the Russians, which he's had very distinct moments where he loses his composure and it's generally pretty funny because his loss of composure, similar to Kyrgios, is just a little bit like out there and weird for the world to see. There's an element of morbid fascination, both with a Kyrgios melt, but also a Novak melt. And it does serve as a remarkable contrast to Federer, who obviously had that streak as a a teenager and a junior. Um, But nowadays, you know, doesn't look like even blinks if someone goes against him in a call or a, a point goes against him. 
So it has been interesting. And, and the fact that the Aussies do get to take home a bronze medal from the tennis is thoroughly well-deserved. And realistically, probably what we expected the outcome to be, right, Jackie? We expected a medal from Tokyo. We expected it to be hanging around Ash Barty's neck. We just maybe weren't expecting it to be this particular one. No, how it's happened is very strange <laughs> in a lot of ways. Um, they obviously put a lot of faith in Ash, uh, considering she lost her first round in the singles, then uh, did fairly well with Storm Sanders in the women's doubles, but then she's gotten another go at it uh, in the mixed doubles when someone that is more of a doubles specialist like Ellen Perez could have been doing that mixed doubles job. But, yeah, I <laughs> I don't know any Australian that doesn't love Ash Barty and knowing that Ash Barty gets to go home with an Olympic medal is just one of the most, like, comforting things about this Olympics, I feel. Uh, but funny that you mentioned Federer. It's still going on right now, but it could – he never actually got to win an Olympic gold medal, which sounds really strange when you think about Federer's whole legacy. But Andy Murray's won the past two gold and then uh, Nadal won the one before that. Belinda Bencic is his Swiss compatriot who is in the gold medal match right now, and it is – something else to watch that's for sure she won the first set uh seven five lost the second and right now it's on serve in the third um which it would be funny to see that the year that Federer doesn't go to the olympics uh someone from switzerland does it and it very much feels like a it's obviously for her but it feels like a full roger moment as well yeah absolutely but We'll, we'll see how that goes, and if it ends while we're still recording, we'll have a chat about that. But yes. I thought it, it might be nice to to run through. I mean, we had two of Australia's teams out today, and then the fact that we're now halfway through the Olympics, it might be nice to look back on the first half of this two weeks of madness. Oh, um, madness did, is the word. I, I watched uh, a fair bit of the hockey today. Um, mm-hmm. The hockey ruse took on Argentina in what looked like a stalemate for most of the afternoon. Um, there wasn't much going on. It was it was kind of end-to-end, but neither team was really able to string together any sort of sustained attack. The defence seemed to be on top, and then all of a sudden Savannah Patrick pounced on a mistake, and it was 1-0 in a flash mm. um, with about 11 minutes to go in the fourth quarter. And then right at the end, Emily Chalker, um, with a seriously nice assist from the very same Savannah Fitzpatrick, um, found the back of the net for a second goal and really put the result beyond doubt with 90 seconds to go. Yeah, I, it's been a bit low scoring for the Aussies, both in the men and the women, for the hockey for the past, I want to say, four days, since it started raining, essentially, which I think that the courts are a fair bit slower once there's a lot more water on the deck, but you can just see how good the hockey rules are. They're constantly challenging in attack. It's just that I think we've come up against stronger defensive sides as well. Um, Argentina's not considered the best the same way that some of the European countries are. But defensively, they do look very good. Um, And they shouldn't have been underestimated the way we probably did underestimate them, not as in the hockey rules. I more mean myself personally. (laughs) Well, I mean, the hockey roos have now won all five of their group matches. Yes. They're undefeated going into the knockout stages and they're looking pretty good. I mean, they've been challenged a couple of times, but at no point have they really looked in trouble. No. And that's a really positive sign for for a team that is 
you know, probably lacking a little bit in international competition over the last couple of years. They've played uh, against New Zealand, I think it was six times in a row, basically. And other than that, they haven't played international hockey leading into the Olympics. So the fact that they have come in and been undefeated and played really well is a good sign. Yeah, and there's an argument that we're in an easier group. I don't actually think that matters at the end of the day. Once the weather changes, some weird stuff can happen. Um, If you're playing in your standard ideal hockey weather, you're going to get regularly the result that's expected. But in these sort of matches where it's been wet um, or it's been incredibly hot, there have been some upsets going on. And you look at the Kookaburras just yesterday, they are also undefeated, but they have dropped points because of that draw against Spain. They'll still exit the group on top, but it just shows that something weird can happen. You can see an upset or halfway to an upset, I guess is what you call that draw. Yeah, I mean, it, it is certainly the case. And a side that looked like they were going to be upset for a good chunk of the evening with the boomers. Uh, they, you know, coming off a loss already. Oh no, they're not no. not off a loss. No. Coming off a, a an escape, <laughs> um, <laughs> two wins. They they looked like they were in pretty deep trouble against Germany for for a good chunk of the evening, but pulled it out and ended up winning in kind of quite dominant fashion. Yeah, I think early you could tell that we missed Aaron Baines, um, which to be expected. Like you lose your center because of a neck injury does. Um, disrupt things quite a bit uh jock longdale's absolute style like we've been talking about how good matisse thibel is but Lundale's also come through and looked great especially in tonight's match i reckon and i mean the other player who was just unbelievable on the floor is everyone's uh, regular flag bearer patty mills who every time he gets the ball you know near the half court there's a, a dribble handoff or a screen handoff and he gets into his dribble and he starts to break down the defender and he starts to rise. And every time he rises up to take three, it feels like it's going in. Yeah. It doesn't um, always, but the way it looks, it just every time it feels like it's going to go in. The amount of times I looked up when we were in offense and Patty Mills has just double teamed me like, yep, Patty Mills has just been on fire. I know that, but like let him have the ball, let him put up another shot. I want to see it. Um, yeah, as if people have just been talking, Patty Mills is an unbelievably good FIBA basketball player. And I think that it becomes more obvious when we're playing in the Olympics. He's still quality in the NBA, like undoubtedly, but he's just in his element playing for the Boomers, um, which maybe it's that he loves to play with his team so much. We do already know that, that like makes him play even better. But FIBA is also not identical to the NBA as well there are a lot of strange little rules like travel getting called normally unlike travel getting called after 12 steps (laughs) yeah but and Patty Mills has been been unbelievable and and Matisse Leibel has been as good as advertised in the lead up to the games but all the boomers really have been quite good um you know Londale's been good Nick Kay's been good Chris Goldling played well tonight Delhi and Ingalls played well tonight. I mean, it's just contributions across the board. Yeah. And we now get to exit the group stage at the top of the group, which, as I said last night, we're not going to see from the Opals. They're going to be lucky to get through. They've got Puerto Rico in their next match, which is not tomorrow. I think it's Monday. And they need a big win. 
that's like the best way to put it. They can get through in third if they are one of the top two third place teams, but they've got like their points difference isn't as bad as other teams. That's where I'll give them credit, but they just don't look how we expected the Matildas, uh, not Matildas, how we expected the Opals to look. Yeah, I mean, it's, I think they really miss Liz Cambay. She gives them a lot of structure and she pushes them all down. Kayla George plays four and the big easy, as I've started calling her, uh, Ezzy um, would play three instead of four, even stretch five, which just changes the way that you have to play the Opals. And I think they're really missing that. And obviously um, you know, Liz Cambay is out with mental health concerns and that's very understandable and, you know, we hope she, she does get right, but it doesn't mean that the Opals don't still miss her. Yeah. But it, we were always going to miss her, I think. <laughs> it's just that yeah, we didn't I mean, realise how she's, much. She's one of the most dominant players in women's basketball in the world, so you'd expect that. But, Jackie, you and I have been sitting at this Olympic podcast now for about five months. Yes. Oh, maybe four. <laughs> maybe four. We've been talking about the lead-up to the Olympics for a long time now we're halfway i know <laughs> what do you think i love it i like i've always said that i love the olympics but once the olympics started i was just like oh the magic is back <laughs> like and i've seen on twitter because it's just we were saying for weeks that there's all this resistance to the olympics and once it starts people will get behind it uh and once it started or at least once australia got its first gold medal people really got behind it, which is what happens. You kind of forget about all the drama. And, yes, there was some nervy drama, not yesterday, but on Thursday um, with the athletics. <laughs> but even then, that story blew over very quickly. And now people are like, I love athletics. It's so great. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, looking back, you know, the, it's been a week of highlights. We've had a lot of our women take gold. Um, yes. Fox, Titmus, McEwen, McKeon, Relay Girls. Um, you know, it's it's been quite a week on that front. But overall, it's been a really successful week. And, you know, I was going to ask you, what, what are the moments that have kind of stand out, maybe three or four moments that have stood out to you? Uh, I think that the pool has to stand out as like a singular moment. Okay, almost. You, no, no, so I, I, you cannot pick the pool as one. <laughs> no, 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 I'm, no, no. I'm, I'm not gonna. Okay, well then it's clearly. Um, <laughs> I'm actually gonna relegate Dean Boxel to um <laughs> lower than Kaylee and Emily Seabottom today because that was just uh made my heart swell. It was a beautiful moment, and then yeah, you cannot go past Jess Fox either. Um, it's just, that is something that is a story we have followed for years. And the fact that we also got to see her dad actually reacting, like we heard him reacting, but then Channel 7 released the footage of like him doing the commentary over her run and you just like... My heart. It's even better. <laughs> um, yeah, absolutely. And yeah, I think it's, there's just so much that's happened. I think the moment that I almost have like, even though it happened yesterday, underestimated how much I loved it was the Matildas. Um, and you very much wrote them off in like our second episode. You told me I was nuts for thinking we were a dark horse. And now we're through to the semifinal and that's not me sledging you. It's just that I also started to think I was nuts about it. And then like <laughs> last night happened and I was like, I'm so glad I believed. <laughs> when, and last night was the biggest uh ratings for a woman's sporting event 
in history in Australia. Uh, it broke the record set earlier in the week by the same Matildas. <laughs> um, but we've gone from a record of about 1.2 million to 1.35 million on Wednesday night, I think it was. Which, no. And then no, uh, last was night was point, 2.2. Yeah. 1.4 to 2.2. Sounds right. 2.24 overnight, which was yeah. unbelievable. And, you know, my Twitter feed was just full of Sam Kerr and the Matildas and Tegan uh, <laughs> Micah, and, and that was it. There was nothing else. Yeah. Oh, my God. That's got to be that Tegan Micah penalty save through to Mary Fowler scoring a goal all within about 90 seconds of each other has to be one of the moments of the soccer tournament by far. Um, and, like, there's been a bunch of these soccer ma- uh, football matches um, going to penalty shootouts in this quarterfinals. Two of them in the women's did. Um, the only team that didn't go to extra time was that Sweden-Japan game. And then I think there were two penalty shootouts as well today in the under-23s. So it just shows how tight the competition is. And we said our group was a group of death. They killed everyone else is what well, ended up happening. Three of them were in the top four, so yeah. it really was a group of death. Just a different kind of death, I think, than what we were expecting. <laughs> uh, so what were yeah, your absolutely. top, probably top three moments then we'll go with? I think uh, one of mine is definitely Kate Campbell leaning over to Emma, McK- Emma McKeon after her win and saying, I'm so proud of you. Yeah. The, the respect within that Dolphins team is just unbelievable. Um, yes. And I, you know, we, it it took me back a little bit to um, the moment in 2000 where we won the four by 100 relay. Um, and obviously that was just after the we'll smash them like guitars comment. And you saw Clem and, and Callis and uh, Chris Feidler, I think it was, who was the fourth member of that team. They were standing there on the blocks doing the guitars and Ian Thorpe's kind of sitting there in the pool going, ah, I don't know what to do here. <laughs> oh, my but God. It, it took me back to that that humble victory. And, and, you know, all of our swimmers have done that. Zach's double T-hook said today, you know, you only get to be the underdog once, so you might as well make the best of it, And um, which you did with a gold medal. <laughs> He's right, though. He won't get to be the underdog ever again. But... The other moment that stood out for me was in the time trial of uh, the individual time trials. So in the, the road cycling, we had Sarah Giganti um, set one of the early paces and then Grace Brown come across and, and jump into third place. And while she eventually finished fourth, we had there's a little selfie of, of Sarah um, with a smile ear to ear. And in the background is Grace sitting on the hot seat for the bronze medal. Um, <laughs> and there's a, a adorable photo of the two of them hugging afterwards because they were teammates back in 2017 in Giganti's first racing season. Um, and then Rowan Dennis, four years after, you know, crashing out and breaking his collarbone while he was leading the individual time trial at Rio to coming in and, you know, he didn't get gold, but he got a bronze medal and um, it kind of came full circle was that redemption. So that's definitely one of the moments of the games for me so far. That's so, you know, it's been a hell of a week. I think there's going to be plenty more moments in the next week. I mean, we know we're winning a gold medal tomorrow, which how ridiculous does that sound? Um, 
Yeah, so absolutely. You- I, mean, I, I think you and I are going to be sitting on a podcast uh, this time in another week talking about how unbelievable these games have been as a whole. All right. I'll ask one question. In fact, let's book it in. We're going to not... (laughs) No one else gets to go on. (laughs) All right, here's my last question. If we were ending the games tomorrow, who's our closing ceremony flag bearer? I say Emma McKeon, but there's probably 10 other girls that could get that job. The thing is, like, if the games are ending tomorrow, it would be a different question because you and I talked about the fact that with the restrictions um, in place this year, the flag bearers have to be someone who is competing in the last couple of days. Yeah, so it's um, And very so my money's actually on, my money's on one of the track cyclists, I think, will be. I feel like you're the, copying out on my question. <laughs> I will mean, it, like, from, from this first week, who would be the flag bearer? I think I'd have to go with Arnie Titmus. That's also, yeah. <laughs> There's so many good options. I mean, you, you can pick any of the three female swimmers. You could pick Jess Fox. You could pick Zach's Double D Cook. You could pick Carl Chalmers. You could pick Matt Wern, who's going to win gold the- tomorrow. You could pick either of the sailors, uh, the shooters, sorry, Letitia Scandon or Penny Smith. You know, there are just so, and of course, Jang Fanley, who you know, didn't quite make it, but certainly got the recognition she deserves after six Olympic campaigns. Well, yeah, her sixth and I think the furthest she ever went or equal furthest uh, she went in an Olympics, which is just unbelievable. Someone was joking around and saying that, like, if we were to do it, um, everyone gets to hold, like, a bit of the flag, which people can be, like, all participation will, but it's there's been so many good Aussie moments that it's so hard to just say you were the best. I reckon you could make an argument for Sam Kerr and Ezzy McBegore and either of the Fitzpatricks in the hockey and... Hey, if we so win many. a if we win a team gold, I think it goes to whoever's that captain. <laughs> Surely <laughs> it'd be quite something. But we'll we'll revisit this next week as to who our you know top five closing ceremony flag bearer candidates were. This has been Ascending Olympus. You can find us on Twitter at Ascending Pod. You can also find us and any stories we write at theinnersanctum.com.au. We have got daily live blogs. Tomorrow's our last day for a swimming recap, and from then on it's just the athletics recap, Aussie recap, and that daily live vlog, which just kills. I love it so much. (laughs) So thanks for listening. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you tomorrow.